Well, good morning. Good morning. Good morning, everybody in the room, as well as those watching in Traditions and Ording Valley and online. Uh, glad that you're with us. And man, we are just, I don't know if I realized as much until I heard people saying what I already know to be true, that Easter is two weeks away. And if you're a believer, if you know and love Jesus, Easter is the biggest holiday of the year. We don't always have as much fanfare around it as maybe something like Christmas or, or that, but Easter is the biggest holiday of the year. And we sang about why this morning, because Easter is when Jesus proved that he defeated our greatest enemy, and that's death itself. That we are not slaves to death, that those loved ones that have passed, that, um, that we get to see them again because Jesus has conquered death. And he has made it clear that if he's conquered death, what else in our hearts or in this world can he not conquer? There is nothing. And so I just hope that your hearts are stirred this morning and will continue to be stirred over these next couple of weeks to give that glory and that honor to Jesus that he so deserves. And then when we come on Easter morning, everything's an overflow of that, right? When you come on Easter morning and you're, uh, you know, you're petting a llama at the petting zoo, or I don't know what they'll have. I just, I heard that um, Pastor Kenny has some excellent uh, llama, llama lassoing skills in his past that he may demonstrate for us. So, um, and then uh, if, you know, pa Pastor Terry will be doing some bull riding. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. And, uh, and Pastor Darren down at Ording Valley has some amazing bunny juggling that he does with live bunnies, okay? So, I don't know, can I think of an animal skill for every pastor on our team? Well, probably, but we should stop there. We should stop there. All that to say, I, I am really excited for Easter because I believe that Easter is a time when Jesus draws people to himself, and the more he draws us closer to him, and the more he draws people to him that never knew him, the more he brings our lives to a place of flourishing that we long for, that we crave, but we cannot find anywhere else than in the face of Jesus. We can't find it anywhere else than when we, when we find him and we realize that we were always worth it to him and he has always been worth it to us. And this morning, we're gonna kind of wrap up a series um, on the seven churches in Revelation where Jesus writes these seven powerful letters to his church. And I wanna remind you this morning that every word that Jesus speaks to his church is the word of a very loving groom to his bride, to the one that he adores more than anyone else. And sometimes those words um, are uplifting and encouraging. And sometimes those words are intense because they're meant to guard that most important relationship between the bride and the groom. And we're going to read one of those letters today. And I'm just going to warn you, it's one of the more intense ones. It's one of the more intense ones because there are some things threatening that relationship between the groom and the bride. And Jesus is not going to stand by and let that happen to his bride. But I want to start by asking you a question. Um, when was the last time that Jesus knocked on the door of your heart and said, um, hey, can I come in? We need to talk. We need to shift some things. When was the last time that in your relationship with Jesus, I'm speaking to those of you that know Jesus, that walk with him. When was the last time that Jesus asked you to kind of tweak some things, to upgrade some things, to shift some things, to recalibrate or readjust the way that you are doing life? And if you are walking with Jesus, it shouldn't have been that long ago. For me, it was this morning in my devotions, just reading the word personally, not preparing for my message. When I felt convicted about some things, I felt like Jesus was saying, hey, Caleb, we, we need to do better in some areas. Or, hey, hey, Caleb, I have better for you in some areas. And even if you're not walking with Jesus, it's a good habit to get into to stop and recalibrate your life from time to time. To Every now and then to pause and say, you know, am I investing my life, my time, my energy, my emotions, my resources in the right ways in order to get the most out of life. Because what I find is that I often drift into things that aren't making my life the best, and I drift away from things that would make my life the best. I have, a, I have an embarrassing confession to share with you this morning, and it's embarrassing not because of, it's some deep, dark sin, You'll have to wait till next week for the, no, I'm just kidding. Um, it, I, I, it's embarrassing because of how trivial and I, in many ways pathetic it is. I feel as, as a adult 
embarrassed to say this, but over COVID, how many of you, how many of you coped with COVID um, in some ways that you're like, yeah, that, that was a little bit embarrassing. You know, like I ate way too much ice cream or, you know, I binge watched way too much of this show or, you know, like it's, I see some hands going up. It's okay. This is a safe place. You know, you can confess. Well, I'll tell you what I overindulged in over the course of COVID. I, I am embarrassed about this because those that know me well know that, you know, things like media, and entertainment are usually not my my um, luxury of choice. But um, over COVID, I, I began to help my son, you know, as being a good dad, I began to help my son with a video game that he, uh, he was enjoying, but he was struggling to be successful at. And so as a good dad, I came alongside him and was helping him with this video game. Um, And in order to be able to help him better, after he would go to bed, I would sometimes go and get his video game system and play. Uh, And because of my love for my son, I would stay up long hours into the night, achieving great feats of strength in a virtual world. Um, and, and I hate to say, and, and my wife was very kind, much like the Holy Spirit. She started with a little like, how late were you up last night playing Sam's video game? I was like, oh, no, no, no you know, don't worry about it. We, I, I, I got to level 10. I'm going to be able to show Sam how to get to level 10. And, and she was kind. And then at moments, she's like, I think you need to put that down. You know, that's how it works with Jesus too. At first, he just like, he's like, hey, I'm not sure that's good for you. And then later, he's like, no, you need to put that down. So sometimes I'd resentfully put it down, but I'd plan in my head, when could I go back and play more of my video? Like, I'm serious. I was developing an issue and I, I began to feel a little bit convicted about it in my time with the Lord. Like how many, how many uh, minutes or shall I say hours in the week had I given to this video game, right? And, and there came a point where I had to just be honest and it was really before the Lord, I was like, you know what? This is a waste of my time. This is actually a waste of my energy. It's a waste of at times sleep. It's a waste of, it's one thing to, to play a video game with my son. It's another thing to spend hours on it by myself. Some of you are feeling convicted right now. I, I love you. I support you. Let's start a small group together. No, but I realized that this was not good. And I actually, oh, here's the other thing. I started to love the game so much. I found a way to, to download the game onto my phone so that I could participate anytime, anywhere, right? Oh my gosh. This is embarrassing. Um, and, and so I, I kid you not, at one point I was spending some time, my own time with Jesus. And I just, re- just kind of had this clear picture, this crystal clear moment that the Lord's like, Caleb, it's not that the video game itself was sin. It was, it was a, you know, I check out the video games that my kids play. It was, there was nothing wrong on this particular game. But it wasn't that the game was sinful. It was that I was wasting time and energy and potential of my life that I could have been investing elsewhere. And in that moment, I pulled out my phone and I deleted it off of my phone and I haven't touched it since. Well, thank you. Yes. <laughs> Victory. Thank you, Jesus. Freedom from addiction. No, I'm just kidding. So, some of you are, but here's, here's the reality. You're, you're thinking, Caleb, this is the dumbest thing in the world. And you're right. It is the dumbest thing in the world. But it's often the little things that aren't inherently evil that keep us from the best things that bring flourishing to our lives. And that's going to be the case, as we'll see in the church that Jesus writes to this morning. And I want us to look at this and and remind ourselves that we are those who Jesus loves. And he loves so much, he doesn't want even the good things in our lives, the joys and pleasures that he has put in our lives. He doesn't want any of those things to get in the way of the ultimate joy, which is him. And you, if you're sitting here this morning, you're like, I'm not sure Jesus can bring me more joy than this or that thing in my life. I would just say, I would dare you to give him the chance. Dare you to give him the chance. I dare you to lay down those things that you think will bring you joy. But don't take my word for it. Let's look into the word of God. In Revelation chapter three, this is the final letter to the churches in Revelation. And um, he says in Revelation three, verses 14 through 16, he starts off the letter this way. He says, write this letter to the angel of the church in Laodicea. This is the message from the one who is the amen. 
the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's new creation. I know all of the things that you do, the video games that you play late at night, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other. But since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Just pause there for a moment and consider what could Jesus's beloved do that would actually make him gag? What could the one that Jesus loves enough to give his life for do that would actually make him have a gag reflex? That's what Jesus is gonna get into here with the church at Laodicea. And he says, you are like this lukewarm water. I wish you were hot or cold. And we often think that hot is good. We like hot food. We like hot coffee. Hot must be good. Cold must be bad. Why would Jesus want his bride to be bad, like on the wrong end rather than lukewarm? That Maybe that's never made sense to you. Well, you have to understand the context of this city. Laodicea was between two other cities. And all three cities were known for the type of water that they had. There was the city of Colossae nearby and the the same city that the letter to the Colossians was written to. And the, the city of Colossae was known for these cool artesian springs, these cold water springs from deep in the earth. And they had some of the purest water in the entire region. And because it was so pure, it was believed to actually have life-giving properties that you could go if you were sick or you were not well, or you had digestive tract issues that you wanted to go and drink of the cool, pure water of Colossae. And that cold water would bring healing and life to your body. Similarly, in the other direction, there was another city called Hierapolis, and Hierapolis was known for its hot springs. It had these heated waters that were like you you would think of a hot spring these days that had these different minerals in it, and they were also known as healing waters that you could go and soak in these healing waters or even drink some of these hot waters, and the minerals in them were known to have healing properties. And both of these two towns, Colossae and Hierapolis, were known as places of healing, as places of life because of their water sources, one cold and one hot. But Laodicea had no natural water source. It had to pipe its water in through a Roman aqueduct from somewhere else. And by by the time the water got there, though it started fresh, by the time it got there, it was lukewarm. It was often dirty. You could taste the dirt in it. And at times it would even get contaminated. It was known as water that you had to taste and often spit out of your mouth because you could taste the contamination in it. You probably had this experience if you've lived in the Pacific Northwest and then you've traveled to California and you've made the mistake of drinking from the tap in California, your first reaction is the same reaction of, what's wrong with these pipes? And the problem is the same. They have to ship much of their water, pipe much of their water from places like the Pacific Northwest and in the process, try to keep it from getting contaminated and it sits in tanks and pipes and things like that. And then it doesn't taste good anymore. And Jesus is saying, hey, I wish that you were hot or cold. I wish that you were giving life. I wish that you were bringing health to the people around you. Why? Because the church is meant to be the temple of God. And scripture tells us that the temple of God is supposed to be a source of living water that flows out into all of the world and brings flourishing even into dying and desert places. But this church is not bringing living water. It's bringing contaminated water. And he says, you are actually doing the opposite of what I sent you there to do. And it makes me want to gag. That's sad. When you think of what Jesus has done out of love for this very bride, it is sad that he has reached this point. And I want you to realize this, Christians in the room, Christians that are listening today, that literally the only point that you are still here and not already in heaven with Jesus, the only purpose is so that you can shine his light to a world that still doesn't have it. If that wasn't there, Jesus would just beam you up. 
He would just get you up there. He would send a cloud for you, just like a cloud came for him and said, come on up. The thing's done. Who cares about everybody else? But because everyone is worth it to him, he has sent you to pour out the living water of his goodness and his joy of the things that truly bring life to our souls that we can demonstrate and shine those things to the world around us. That is our one sole purpose, to know him in such a way that we shine him to the world around us. And he sang to the church in Laodicea, the water's contaminated. Something has gotten in the water and it's not bringing life. It's actually bringing death. And what is that thing? If we read on in verse 17, he quotes uh, the prophet Hosea when the prophet Hosea was speaking to the nation of Israel in a time when they thought they were doing well and Jesus had a different opinion. He says this, you say, I'm rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. You are walking around thinking that you're doing really well and actually everyone who sees clearly is like, what is wrong over there? You're saying, look at these fine clothes that I'm wearing and everyone's saying, uh, you are naked right now. You think that you're well-fed, but you are starving to death. These are the kinds of things Jesus is communicating to the church at Laodicea. And just like Hosea the prophet hundreds of years before was saying to the nation of Israel at a time of economic prosperity that spiritually they were in desperate times that they had lost their connection with God. In fact, the prophet Hosea had the, in fact, one of the worst assignments of any person of God in all of scripture. You think Job was bad because Job lost everything he loved? Hosea was called to love a woman who would never love him back and would always cheat on him. God asked him to be faithful to her. She lived and sold herself as a prostitute time and time again. And Hosea's life was a picture of God's faithfulness to people. That he loves us. He's faithful to us. He keeps coming back to us and we keep going to other things. And at the end of the story, Hosea says, you Israel are like this, not with, not with other sexual partners or lovers, but you love everything else around you more than you love God. And you think you're doing well, but you have made the blessings that God has given you idols that you commit adultery with. Because in scripture, idolatry is equated with adultery. And there's not a human being in the world, Christian or otherwise, that loves the idea of their most significant other cheating on them. Nobody wants that. There's nobody who doesn't feel defiled by that. There's no one who doesn't feel insulted and assaulted by that. And why would God feel any differently? Because we're made in his image. And so every time that idolatry is committed by a human being, it is actually adultery towards God. And the Laodiceans, they, they were doing what was normal in Rome at that time. Just like Israel hundreds of years before, Rome had reached a level of prosperity that they were very proud of because no human civilization before them had achieved the level of technology, the level of medicine, the level of luxury, and comfort that they were capable of. And they were proud that their clothes and their, the, way they, their, the way they spent their free time and the different luxuries they had and the medicine that they were capable of actually healing sick people with, they were very proud that they had achieved this level of prosperity. And there was a lot of feeling that the Roman Empire had arrived. It was the peak of human existence. Does any of this sound familiar? Because we live in modern day Rome. We live in modern day Rome. And it was normal for the people to feel that way. Th those things were good things. They were things that God created human society to achieve. They are blessings that God wants to give his people. 
But time and time again, just like Hosea the prophet's wife, human beings prove that when God gives us his blessings, we take them and run with them and say, thanks God, we don't need you anymore. And the church at Laodicea has bought into that, bought into that Greco-Roman culture, hook, line, and sinker. They are enjoying the prosperity of their city and they are saying this must be God's blessing. But do you remember from all of the other churches what it took to be socially and economically blessed in this period of time in this era? It required over-participation in the idolatry of the day. You had to. Many of the labor unions of that time were organized around certain temples and you had to check in and, and pay tribute to the God of that labor union in order to continue to be a part of your labor union or you would be kicked out of it. You had to celebrate certain gods at certain feasts. You had to, if you were going to be a shareholder in different companies and agricultural industries, you had to celebrate the gods of the day or you would be ostracized, kicked out of it. And so many of the churches we've read about in in the first six churches were being persecuted because of their refusal to participate. The Laodiceans are on the opposite end of it. Laodiceans are enjoying all of those things because they have participated overtly and subtly in idolatry. I'm sure that the Laodiceans would not say that they love those gods. They'd say, no, those are dumb statues. We don't, we're not really worshiping at those temples. We're just, we're just doing what we have to do to experience God's blessing in our lives. God wouldn't really be mad about this, would he? Jesus says, it makes me gag to think of how you justify your adultery with the world. Makes me gag because you're not even sorry. You're not repentant. You're not wondering how this makes me feel. You're not prioritizing this relationship. It just, it makes me feel disgusted that this is where our relationship is at. Because in Laodicea, the people had decided that the blessings of the world were the ones that they wanted more than the primary blessing of relationship with God himself. It's kind of a funny thing because sometimes we think of idols and idolatry and we do the same thing. We're like, well, we don't take, we're not like worshiping statues and we're not like showing up at temples and and making, you know, claiming some other God to be my God. I'm sure that the Laodiceans were saying, yes, Jesus forgave me of my sins. So I'm going to show up in heaven with him someday but they were not living as if he was their God every day until then. They were living as if the prosperity of their culture was their God. Their choices were determined by how do I prosper most in this world that rejects God, not by how do I please God most in this world that rejects God. We have to remember that idolatry is not always about false gods and other religions, that often idolatry happens whenever good things get out of proportion in our lives. Prosperity is not a bad thing. Relationships and money and luxuries and those types of things, they're not necessarily bad things, but when they become more important to us than God himself, they become idols, they become objects of adultery. And at that point, even our most important beloved relationships with human beings can actually become idols. That's why Jesus said, you know, there was a lot he said about the importance of family relationships, marriage, parenting, all those things. But he also said, don't love your spouse, your parents, your children more than you love me. Was it because Jesus is selfish? No, it's because he knows what we need to be saved. He knows what love most will preserve us because all of those other relationships will fail us and will eventually, if by no other means than death itself, not be available to us. Only Jesus can truly sustain us. What about our possessions? They're things that God places in our hands and we are meant to receive them with open hands and say, thank you, God. But the minute that we begin to close our hands and say, this is mine. It becomes an idol. 
instead of a blessing. We are meant to receive them with open hands. We're meant to offer them back to God with open hands. That is why, you know, when we talk about the tithe, that's such a critical part of God's blessing in your life because you offer back to God a portion of what he's given you to show them that you know it's actually his, not yours. It keeps your heart healthy. It guards your soul in a way that no amount of money could buy right? And so we offer back to God. And here's what God really loves is sometimes we don't even wait for God to take it back. We say, hey, Father, I just want to be like you. I'm going to give this blessing away. I'm going to give it away. God, I'm going to dump this on the people around me. I'm going to bless other people with these things that you have given me. Because it's not ours, it's his but possessions can become idols. Careers become idols when they become our identity. When we think we are defined by what we do and how much money we make and how much we've accomplished, it is a lie because we are only defined by Jesus and his identity in our lives. And we of course know that money can be an idol, but all those things are meant to be blessings given by God as long as they stay in their right place. But for the Laodiceans, prosperity had become an idol because prosperity is enticing. We see prosperity and what prosperity is, it is, it is the promise of healing the longings of our soul with external means. We find that we believe in prosperity. The lie of prosperity is that external means can feed internal needs and they can't. And if there is no society that has proven it more than our society has, I don't know of it because we see the people that have the most amounts of prosperity in our society. And again and again, we see high levels of drug use and depression and suicide and and broken relationships over and over and over again. And we are sick enough as a society to enjoy watching it. And yet we don't learn from it. We say, I want the same thing. Destroyed health, destroyed relationships, nothing but what money can buy. I'll take that. Sounds great. Let's all chase the same thing. And we make prosperity an idol, just like the Laodiceans did. Why do we fall into that? Because prosperity always can lull us into thinking we're doing well when we are actually dying. That's the the disconnect. We see people with all of the money and all of the luxury and all of the technology and all of the medicine available to protect them from all of the evils of this world. And we think, why aren't they happy? Because none of those things meet the internal needs. None of those things heal our souls. They simply anesthetize us on the surface. They work actually just like the narcotics and drugs that can be used to protect from pain, but often lead to horrible life-controlling addictions. And people, rather than being concerned about whether their body is actually moving towards health, they become only concerned with the feeling that nothing is wrong while they are dying. And we again have a society that proves that to be true. And so prosperity lulls us towards death. And on the surface, it can even look good for most of the time. But beneath the surface, our souls are crying out for someone to listen to them. And sometimes not even we will. And you know, the problem with that is there's not just a cost to us when we buy into that. It's not, it doesn't just cost us. It actually costs everyone around us because have you noticed that passion is contagious? That when someone's passionate about something, it, it, it engages you to be interested. You're like, I wonder what they're so excited about. I wonder why they're so fired up. I wonder why they're so happy. And often the way that someone learns a hobby is being around someone else that's really passionate about a hobby. You know, that's how certain interests go. Uh, many musicians trace their interest in music back to other people in their life that were passionate about playing an instrument or they, they got to know musicians that were passionate about what they did. Athletes have similar stories. You know, people engage in what other people are passionate about. And that's wonderful if you're passionate about the right things. 
It's deadly if you're passionate about the wrong things. That's how worship works, actually. When we live lives that are truly worshipful, lives that are so passionate about Jesus that it affects the daily choices that we make, other people look on and and they might even think it's weird. They might be like, that person is a little, you know, I don't know. But as they see the fruit of that passion in your life, the joy and the peace and seeming, uh, seeming numbness to the, to the screams of the world, they wonder, what are you passionate about? And when it's Jesus, our passion, our worshipful living leads them towards a God that has the same life for them. But when we instead demonstrate that same amount of passion for our own personal prosperity, When we demonstrate that our deepest passion, and by the way, the most dangerous victim of this is your own children. When we demonstrate to our children and to our coworkers and to the other people in our life that our greatest commitment, our greatest passion is our own comfort and our own luxury and our own fun and our own rest and our own relaxation, they will become passionate about the same exact things. And where will it lead them? Will it lead them to a, on a pursuit that satisfies their soul? Probably not. Worshipful lives make people long for God. It's the point of living worshipfully. But idolatrous lives make people long for false gods. The church at Laodicea, the reason the water was contaminated is because they were meant to be a temple flowing with living water and their rejection of the prosperity of the world was meant to draw people to a better source of prosperity, a source of prosperity that could actually meet the needs of their soul. But instead, the water was contaminated. And yes, the Laodicean church was leading people to a God, but it wasn't to a God that could meet the needs of their soul. It was to a God that was leading them towards death, would meet the physical needs for a while, but would never meet the needs of their soul. And we have to ask this morning, is that same thing that was making Jesus gag at the lost potential of his bride, that was making him gag at his mission to the the city of Laodicea, being lost and contaminated by a church that loved other gods better, is that same thing true of us? We cannot read scripture and not ask that question. We have to ask it personally. We have to ask it corporately. And we have to be honest as a society that this is a serious issue that we deal with. You know, most of the other churches, the greatest struggle that the church was dealing with in in the book of Revelation was persecution because they were rejecting this idol. We in America are not a persecuted church. We might be a church struggling for identity in a culture that is changing swiftly, but we're not a persecuted church. If anything, we may be a contaminated church at times. We may be a church with dual passions. We may be believers that have one day a week where we're passionate about one God and six days a week where we're passionate about another one. I desperately want this Easter for it to be your lives, not the programs of a building or an organization or a nonprofit. I want it to be your lives that draws people to the living water of Jesus. I want it to be my life. I don't want my children to hear me preach one thing on a Sunday, but see another thing lived out in my life the other days of the week. I want to be Jesus's church more than I want to be a church of fame or prosperity or any of those other things. That is the only thing that will feed our soul. And is the only thing that will bring flourishing to our community outside of these walls. It's what Jesus invites us to. And he invites us the same way he invited the Laodiceans. He says to us in verse 18 with words of compassion, but words of warning. He says, so I advise you to buy gold from me 
gold that has been purified by fire. Then you'll be rich. Also buy white garments from me so that you will not be shamed by your nakedness and ointment for your eyes so you will actually be able to see. I correct and discipline everyone I love. So be diligent and turn from your indifference. Turn from your indifference to a life of passion well-lived. Verse 20, look, I stand at the door and knock. Jesus never gives up on his bride. He says, I stand at the door and knock. And if you hear my voice and you open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. And then those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. What's Jesus say to us this morning? He says to each one of you, I love you. I don't want you to waste your life. I want to call you to things that matter most. I want you to experience all of the blessings of the world in the way that I give them to you and nothing more. And I want you more to experience all of the blessings of heaven in a way that I give them to you and nothing less. He says, I'm standing at the door knocking if you'll let me in. He's saying to to those that have committed adultery against him, I'm still here. I'm not gonna go away. Will you let me in? Will you let me in and let's share a meal together again? The humility of Jesus is astounding. Will you, let's share a meal. Let's, let's be friends again. Let's renew relationship. This is the creator of the universe talking. Let's share a relationship again. And then he says, and after we've shared a meal, let me share my throne with you. He's saying, do you have ears to hear me? Can you hear me knocking? And how do we do this? How do we, how do we embrace that? What is he saying to us? He's saying, buy gold from me. Don't, don't give in to the prosperity of the world. Why do we love money? Because money gives security. Money gives us whatever we want or need. Jesus says, don't buy that kind of money. Buy money that's pure, gold that's pure. Because only Jesus can really give us the security that money promises us. Only he can provide for us and protect us the way that we often looked to money to do for us. He says, let me be the one that clothes you. Why do we clothe ourselves the way we do? It's an identity. No matter how you clothe yourself, clothing is always a matter of identity. How do you identify yourself? And Jesus says, let me be your identity. Let me identify you with clothes that are white. Clothes, and what does white clothing represent? Righteousness, the character of God himself. Be clothed in my character, he says. Find your identity in my character. He says, and let me come to you. Let me put my healing ointment on your eyes so that you can actually see what life is really about. He says, let me be your source of healing, not your, you know, fancy everything else in society, your technology, your medicine, your whatever, let me be the one that restores you. And we have to choose Jesus over the other things. He is inviting us to have, excuse me, he's inviting us to come to him for all of our needs and desires. He's inviting you to come to him for all of your needs and desires. Now, you might have been caught by a certain word in there. Jesus says, come and buy gold from me. Buy your clothing from me. And if you're a good business person, you're like, okay, so what's the catch here, Jesus? What do I have to give you to get this gold? But listen to what Jesus says in Isaiah 55, where he had a similar offer. He says in Isaiah 55, one through three, is anyone thirsty? Come and drink. Even if you have no money, Jesus is a horrible salesperson. Come, take your choice of wine or milk. It's all free. Why spend your money, your time, your life, your energy, your passion, your emotions on food that does not give you strength? 
Why pay for food that does you no good? Listen to me and you will eat what is good. You will enjoy the finest food. Come to me with your ears wide open. Listen and you will find life. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. I will give you all the unfailing love that I promised to David. You know, David was God's favorite. It's God's favorite. We don't always know why, because David was a knucklehead here and there. But we should be encouraged by that because... And when God says, if you'll come to me, I have a relationship with you and I'm gonna pour out my love like I poured out only on my favorite. Because you know what? In some way, shape or form, you are God's favorite. And he's not calling you to trust him over prosperity because he's insecure and intimidated. He's like, maybe they'll love society more than they love me. No, it's because you're his favorite and he wants his best for you. He wants life for you. He wants abundance for you in a way that satisfies your soul, not just your surface. The only real cost of the wealth of heaven, Jesus says, you want it, come and get it, it's free. Come buy it from me. The price is nothing because he bought it for us on the cross. The only cost of the wealth of heaven is actually letting go of the things of the world. Is letting go of everything else we hold on to enough to receive all that God has for us. And we have a responsibility to handle prosperity well. Can I tell you, my, my sermon is not gonna end this morning with like, okay, everybody get rid of your job, get rid of your, your all of you can pick one outfit, everything else goes and you can't have any more fun and no more stuff. We're gonna be miserable for Jesus. That's not the point. The point is that we have a responsibility to steward our prosperity well. And how do we steward our prosperity? Well, we have to recognize that prosperity can be an idol if we aren't careful. We have to recognize that prosperity, it's like those people that, that keep tigers and things for pets. It's a great pet until it decides you're a great meal. And then it's not a great pet anymore. Prosperity is like that. It's great as long as you always remember it can kill you. It could kill you. And so we handle prosperity in certain ways. We have to combat the temptation toward idolatry by directing our desires to Jesus. Because it's not your bank account that is the problem. It's not the possessions in your house that are the problem. They might represent the problem. And at times, like a drug addict, you have to reject them from your life in order to get away from them enough to recalibrate your life. But they are not the problem. The problem is that you desire them more than you desire Jesus. The problem is that you, like Gollum in Lord of the Rings, you cannot let it go, even if it takes you to your own death. You hold precious that which is killing you. We have to combat the temptation to make those things our gods by directing our desires, by living lives so focused on Jesus. And the minute we feel something competing with that desire, the minute we're saying, Jesus, can you hold on a minute? Jesus, wait just a second. Jesus, I'll obey you very soon. I just need to take care of some things over here. Idol killing you, destroying you, that is attacking you. Get it out of your life. It's that serious. Sorry, I can tell some of you, you have not been yelled at recently. I love you. <laughs> Jesus loves you. Online audience, don't be afraid. But it's that serious. It latches onto your soul and sucks the life out of you. We have to combat that temptation, that desire confusion. And we do that in specific ways. We, we combat the idolatry of greed with generosity and worship. When we're generous, instead of going like this, that's killing us, we're going like this. We can't get rid of it fast enough. Prosperity, let me give it away. 
right? That's why it's like, man, okay, I, I want to pay my tithe and I want to give more than that. And man, I want to feed kids around the world that I'll never meet because I don't want money to be an issue for me. Because God has made money not an issue for me. I need to make sure it doesn't become a heart issue for me, right? We have to combat that with generosity and with worship because when we worship God, when we cultivate the desire for God, then we realize those things don't, those things don't hold an ounce to what God offers us. We combat the idolatry of selfishness with the simple act of prayer. You know, I find when I'm most frustrated and upset with my kids is when I'm least prayerful. When I'm abiding, when I'm walking with Jesus, when I'm like driving down the road and I'm talking to Jesus while my children are maybe um, occasionally having a slight conflict in the back of the car, they're almost angels, so it happens like once a year. But when I'm talking to Jesus in the midst of that situation, I don't get frustrated. I handle it like Jesus would handle it because Jesus is coaching me through it. He's saying, Caleb, you do the same thing all the time, just the adult version. What do I tell you in that moment? Tell that to your kids. Okay, Lord. And then I laugh at myself. I laugh at what they're doing. And then I set it straight, right? When we walk through life prayerfully, we are not self-focused. It's not all about, I want this and I should have this and I feel this way and ma, 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 ma. When we're walking through a Jesus and we're Jesus focused, we're prayerful. We're saying, Lord, I'm, and I do this all the time. I say, Lord, I don't, I, I'm upset right now and I don't even know why. I'm frustrated right now. Lord, I'm stressed out about this. Like walk me through this, Lord. And he walks me through it. That is a life walking in the Holy Spirit. But there's other days where I'm like, Jesus, I got this. And it does not work out very well. We have to combat selfishness with relationship with God. And then we combat the idolatry of pride with self-discipline. How do you get rid of human arrogance? The only way is self-denial. The only way to not be your own God is to deny yourself, is to make yourself obey, is to make yourself be a servant to Jesus. Paul said it this way. He said, after I preach to others, I beat my body and make it my slave so that I won't be disqualified from what I was preaching about. Pretty intense language. He's talking about how hard it is to discipline himself, how hard it is to make himself be obedient to God, the apostle Paul. And that's why Jesus said, hey, if anyone actually wants to follow me, they're gonna have to deny themselves. We don't like that. We live in a culture that says, feed yourself everything you want, whenever you want it, all the time. And if anybody denies you, they are evil. They hate you. They should not be allowed in your life. They, should, they don't love you. They don't care about you. They must not love you. And Jesus says, I love you more than anybody. But if you're gonna walk with me, you're gonna have to deny yourself. Because that whole self thing gets in the way of all the flourishing I have in mind for you. It gets in the way. And that's why, that's why Christians for thousands of years have done things like we're gonna do next week and we're gonna fast. Why are we fasting? We're not even fasting for yourself, which is great. We're fasting for people you may never meet. We're fasting for lives to be transformed, for people to be changed, for our culture and our community to be transformed by the loving, flourishing power of Jesus. That's why we deny ourselves because we're, it's not about us. It's about him and about them. We deny ourselves to keep him first. And that's how we combat pride. You might say, I'm not ready for a week-long fast. I get that. Let me ask you this. When was the last time that you just told yourself no? When's the last time you said, you know what, Lord? I'm not gonna have that dessert right in front of me just because I wanna show you that I love you more than I love that dessert. You think it's silly, right? It sounds silly. But seriously, when's the last time you denied yourself something that you wanted? that you could have? When's the last time you came home from work and instead of going to the fridge for a beer because you deserved it and you earned it, you're like, you know what, Lord? You're gonna be my relaxation tonight. I'm gonna talk to you. I'm gonna spend some extra time in the word because it's not about my flesh feeling satisfied. It's about me connecting with you. 
When's the last time that money that you deserve to spend on yourself, you didn't spend on yourself? Right? We have to, it's healthy for us to say no to ourselves. It's really healthy. It's not fun. It's never fun. I'm not trying to trick you. It's not fun. But it is really healthy and really life-giving. My point this morning is that you have a God who relentlessly loves you. You have a God who is knocking at the door saying, I'm only correcting you because I love you. And I want to share a meal together, a meal that will actually satisfy your soul. And then I want to show you what it's like to rule the universe. I want you to come sit up here on my throne with me and show you my perspective. Will you let me in? Will you put me above those other things in your life that you love? Would you bow your heads with me this morning? I want you to allow in this moment. I want you to allow the Holy Spirit to search your heart. He loves you. He loves you like he loved David. And because he loves you, He's knocking on the door of of your heart saying, hey, can we recalibrate a couple things? Can we put a couple of my blessings back in their rightful place where they've gotten out of proportion? And I want you to know those instincts, those moments that you feel on your heart right now, those things that pop up and you think this might be an issue, it's an issue. The Holy Spirit has full authority in this moment. We have given him full authority in this moment to speak to you. If it's knocking on the door of your heart, let Jesus in. Give him lordship over those things. Surrender those things. I know that you love them. And I know that you worry about what will happen when you lay that thing down or lay this passion down. Trust Jesus. He has something so much better. Father, I just pray across all of our venues for those in this room and those watching online, Lord, I just pray that you would have full sway in our hearts, that you would be king, that the water that flows out from our lives would be living water, water that draws people to the source of life, not contaminated. So Father, whatever needs to be set right, we give you full freedom to set it right. Put those things back in order in our lives. Help us to love you as you deserve to be loved because you've never stopped loving us even when we didn't deserve it. We thank you for it, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.